We're embarking on our study uh, that is entitled Key Doctrines of the Christian Gospel. And this is going to take us through in the Lord's will uh, to Easter time. And tonight's uh, focus point is really an introduction to the whole subject. And it's entitled The Gospel in the 21st Century. Uh, the reason we're studying the key doctrines of the Christian gospel is because there are many versions of good news in the world. And that's what the word gospel means, uh, good news. There are a variety of good news options that come to people. And it seems as though people have a myriad of choices and people make choices all the day. And it's all based on what they think is best in the moment. But what we're going to be homing in on for this week and the next weeks uh, in the Lord's will is the only gospel that really stands up to scrutiny and is coherent in everything that it states and promises, unlike other good news stories that we might encounter in the world. We're going to be thinking about the key doctrines of the Christian gospel, the good news that's associated with Christianity and that worldview. And we're going to be thinking about the gospel, and it's the Christian gospel in the 21st century where we find ourselves today. And we'll see through our study of God's word that the gospel is a pure thing that has been around since the beginning of time and has not changed. It has become increasingly revealed. And we live in days that are blessed days because we have the gospel we might say in all of its fullness to enjoy and to experience i'd like us to take our reading as we consider the gospel in the 21st century uh, from a letter that was written uh, in the middle of the first century and it's paul's letter to the church of god in rome and it's romans chapter one and we're going to read the introductory verses of that letter so it's uh, Paul's um, introduction to what he wants to say in the rest of the letter which is really uh, a most remarkable explaining of the gospel a description of what it is and during our study over the coming weeks we're going to be looking at this a number of times I'm sure the book of Romans but let's read the first seven verses of Romans chapter one Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him, we have received grace, an apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. What a way to start a letter. We're going to look at five important statements that are contained in that. First is the gospel of God. 
as it's mentioned in verse one. Then that this gospel, this good news of God, he has promised. And it's revealed in the Holy Scriptures. And that's a reference to the Old Testament that Paul would have used along with other preachers in his day to preach the gospel. They used the Old Testament as we have it in our Bibles. And we read about that in uh, verse two. This gospel that God had promised and was uh, explained in the Holy Scriptures is about his son, his eternal son, who became a man and is resurrected from the dead. And that's mentioned in verses three to four. And it's through him that we have received grace. Now, Paul mentions specifically his own situation and that of the apostles like him, but he knows that it extends to all believers, that this gospel that was promised in the scriptures, that's all about the son of God resurrected from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's through him that people receive God's grace. And that this then is what calls all people to a life of obedience that comes from faith. So we're going to quickly look at these and you'll see the reason why I've honed in on these five, because it links with the chapter in the book, the key doctrines of the Christian gospel that we're using as a as a, an aid to help us in our study. I've highlighted the words here. I hope you can see them on the screen. This is all about God. It's all about the scriptures. It's about the son of God. It's about grace and it's about faith. The reason for coming and looking at those five important statements is because they articulate, as Paul has done for us, the purity of the gospel. And the purity of the gospel was under threat even when Paul was writing. And it was under threat when Peter was writing and it was under threat when John was writing. When they were writing their contributions that uh, together form our New Testament, the purity of the gospel was already under threat. And that's why they wrote as guided by God, so that purity would be understood and would be loved by people and it would be honoured by their adherence to it. I want to say something about the Reformation. The Reformation was... Uh, what happened in the 16th century. The official date, they say, for the beginning of the Reformation was 1517, when Martin Luther uh, pinned his 95 theses to um, a church door in Germany. He was a Roman Catholic monk and had been so dissatisfied in his life, he never found satisfaction. This is the 16th century. So 16 centuries after the Lord Jesus Christ has lived on this earth and he has come with God's gospel, himself being the gospel. And things have shifted so far from the purity that Paul was writing to remind Christians about. That there needed to be a reformation. The word reformation was taken from the New Testament and its use in the letter or the writings to the Hebrews in the New Testament. And the word really means to make straight. So there was this need to make straight what had become crooked, what had become bent with regard to the gospel. In all of its purity and all of its straightness, because it is from God, it had been 
spoiled and it had been bent out of shape. And people were living, listening to a gospel that was so bent out of shape, it really was no gospel at all. And it had started even when Paul was writing his letters here. We have five major characters and we're not going to say much about them, but they're instrumental men in the, the process of the Reformation in Europe. You've got Martin Luther and you've got John Calvin and uh, Ulrich Zwingli and Philip Melanchthon and um, Theodore Beza. And these men, it would seem at, at a certain time, um, started to be helped by God to see things in Scripture that had been missed or twisted by churches, established churches, from the end of the first century, all these 15 centuries of history in the Dark Ages. And that happened because here were men who were interacting with the scriptures, the Bible, in their original languages, and they were then taking it and translating it into everyday languages. And as that was happening along with others like William Tyndale, the Bible was becoming more available to people in languages they could understand rather than Latin that uh, was then the preserve of the elite of the Roman Catholic Church, really. And people were able to start to talk about the scriptures and to see for themselves that what the scriptures said did not match with what the established churches have been teaching and practicing. So the Reformation was a making straight, the beginning of a process of making straight. What Jude refers to, the faith once for all entrusted to God's holy people. He said he wanted to speak about the gospel, but along with the gospel was, was a way of living, the faith that had been entrusted to them. And here was a recovery, not just of the gospel, but what it meant to life. So that's just a little bit of history about the Reformation. And there are five things that statements that come out of the Reformation that really link so so closely with what we get in Romans chapter one. But before we get there, I want to say something about the crooked gospel. You know, Paul said in Galatians chapter one in a letter to churches in that whole region, he said that they had started to believe a different gospel, which was really no gospel at all. And they were deserting God and going after a different gospel. This is in the middle of the first century, early days. People were being taken away by a twisted and a bent and a crooked gospel. And by the 15th and 16th century, it, it, was, it was almost codified in heretical teaching and practices that flowed out of that. And I want you to see five of them and not just think that they were things that developed towards the end of the first century and persisted until the, the 15th and 16th century and then were, were overturned. They're actually prevalent today, even in so-called Christianity. One of them is that humanity plays a major role in salvation. Another thing is that church leaders have authority that is greater than scripture and God's word. That third thing, that humanity has an inherent goodness. And along with God's grace that is spoken about in the Bible, those things together achieve eternal life. That's a crooked thing. And not only that, that good works supplement trusting in what God has done for justification to be made right with God. 
good works and faith were required. And not only that, human merit in terms of some human beings being able to help other human beings um, gain a standing with God. That, along with who Jesus was, the Christ, was required for salvation. That's a crooked gospel. And um, I don't have time to go into all of the facets of that, but there's so much of that that is still prevalent today. And what I want to talk about is how that began to be straightened out with the Reformation, the straightening of the gospel and the coming back to the purity that we can hold to today. And the first thing that's overturned then is this notion that humanity plays a major role in salvation. One of the first statements of the reformers was soli de gloria, Latin phrase that means glory to God alone. That God is the author of salvation, that everything that occurs in this world, in history, and in the future, and in our lives, everything occurs for God's glory. In Isaiah 41, verse 8, the Lord said, I am the Lord, and that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another. God knows that his glory is pure, and there is no one else. None of us can, can ever compete with that. And the reality is that humanity can become the recipient of God's glory and share in God's glory. But the gospel is not about how we achieve that ourselves. It's not about us and how good we are. The glory is not to us in the pure gospel, in the pure salvation. Rather, it's all for God. You'll notice in verse six and what we read in Romans chapter one, it says that those who belong to Jesus Christ, that's that's the turning round. We rather than being rebels against God, we belong to God through Jesus Christ, belonging to him. That's for God's glory. And I, I just want to say this as well. It means that then Christians, those who have been saved and know God's salvation through this straight and pure gospel that is for God's glory, it means that their lives and their worship is for the glory of God alone. And that comes down to the very occasions when the people of God are to gather for worship. It's not for our glory. It's not for our entertainment. It's not all about us. Rather, it's all for God. And when we're engaged in worship, of course, we're beneficiaries of that but it's not for us. It's all for God's glory. But you know, today there are churches where much of the focus is on how wonderful human beings are. Watch out for them because they're easily accessible on YouTube and their message is a deceitful one. Then we have this notion that church leaders have authority greater than scripture. And th this was Luther in particular who was kicking against the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope who was sitting with the Magisterium of Rome in a position of great authority where what they said uh, sat as in a greater way than scripture did. And it's not that they, they didn't say scripture had authority. They just said that the Pope and the Magisterium of Rome had greater authority to interpret and to explain it. But that's replaced by the reformers statement sola scriptura which means scripture alone 
as I said, it wasn't that the Roman Catholic Church and other churches uh, didn't believe that God's word was God's word. And that the problem really was that they felt that men had a had a position of authority that they could take in addition to God's word. You know, scripture alone, we read about that in uh, Romans chapter one, verse two, the gospel promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Paul relied on the Holy Scriptures in his preaching. He never claimed an authority above and beyond scripture. He was an apostle and he would draw on the teachings that he had heard from Christ, yes, but there was not a system among the churches where men would claim an authority above that of scripture. This tells us that the gospel is not a humanly devised idea or set of ideas. God is its author and he has given us in the scriptures, everything we need. There's many scriptures we could think of, like 2 Peter 1.21, that says that prophecy never had its origin in human will, but the prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He's the author of God's word. But, you know, in Rome, they while they believed in the inspiration and the inerrancy of scripture, they developed a tradition that effectively placed final authority somewhere other than God. Uh, the reformers challenged that and said that the source, the sole source of divine revelation and the final authority for faith and for practice was God's word. God has given us everything in his word. Second Peter, he refers to this in chapter one, verses three and four. He says, his divine power, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. And we come into the knowledge of God through his word who called us by his own glory and goodness. You know, today there are churches and they're well-known and they're attractive churches and they grab our attention through podcasts and YouTube and social media. And yet the leaders of those churches will claim to be modern day apostles and they will claim to have special revelations and words from the Lord that are a greater authority than scripture itself. Watch out for them because it's a crooked gospel that they're putting forward. Then you have this notion that humanity, the third point has this inherent goodness and along with God's grace, we can bring those two together and we have eternal life. Um, that's replaced by the reformer statement of sola gratia, which means grace alone. That there's nothing in humanity that contributes to the salvation that God gives to us. Nothing to this good news. You know, British monk Pelagius um, in the fifth century, he started to say that uh, human beings were all uh, born like Adam was in his original state before sin. And sin would come along later. And that was sort of adopted by the Roman Catholic Church. And they, they, they adopted a sort of halfway house on this. And uh, where, where if you obeyed God, your good works then merited salvation. And if not, then you deserve God's punishment. Um, it was a sort of cooperative work between God and humanity. And that is very much alive today. But what we see in scripture, remember scripture alone, 
What we see in scripture tells us that Adam's sin affected all of humanity to the point where we cannot, in our own capacity, cooperate in God's salvation. So therefore, it is all of God's grace. In Romans chapter 3, Paul says Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. And there's no one righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But yet all are justified freely by his grace. The all there is all those who see in Christ the Savior, their salvation as God has revealed him to them. And they're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Why Paul goes on in Romans chapter five and says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. In Ephesians chapter two, Paul lays it out really strongly. He tells us that we're we're in bondage to sin. He says, you're dead in your transgressions and sins. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. And it is by grace you have been saved through faith. So we're not saved by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, as some people say. And neither are we saved by reaching out a hand for a, a life ring that's been thrown to us by someone. We don't have the capacity to do that. God must intervene in our experience, in his grace, to bring us to the point where we see him for who he is and he gives us life and he gives us faith and it's all a thing of grace that we might be his people for his glory it's all of grace it's not of us and then you have this notion as well that is associated with this that good works the things that you can do plus faith uh, make make us right before god you know for those in the roman catholic church and martin luther was part of this it was baptism and other things that would achieve your justification. You needed to do these things to be saved. But Paul has spoken in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, about the obedience that comes from faith. Faith alone leads to a life of obedience. And that's why the reformers had their fourth catchphrase, if I can say it, sola fide, faith alone. Justification by faith alone. This was the key thing for Martin Luther and the other reformers. That we're made right with a holy God. Rebel sinners through trusting in what God has said in his word. And what God has said in his word is he has provided salvation through the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to make us right with him. You know, this is a righteousness that becomes part of us. It's given to us. It's grace. And it's received by faith. It's an imputed righteousness, to use language, that uh, tries to help us um, understand these things. Something was given to us. We believe at the cross that our sin was imputed to Jesus. And for all those who are in Christ Jesus, he suffered the wrath of God against that sin. And in that moment, his righteousness and all of his perfection is imputed to us. It's not the infusing of righteousness along with our uh, good works. Ephesians 2, Paul's writing to the church of God there. Famous verses in 8 and 9. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one 
can boast. No one is justified by keeping the works of the law or by doing things that men say are necessary. When we come back to scripture and we see that it's grace alone and it's faith alone, then we can take hold of Romans 5 verse 1, where it says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to finish up with the fifth point here. This notion that <clears throat> human merits, the merit of other human beings, can have an impact along with Christ's work for our salvation. And this was this notion that the priesthood in the Roman Catholic Church and in other churches, and, and this still happens today, um, that that was necessary for people to be able to interface with God's salvation and to receive it. There needed to be this mediatorial work of humanity in addition to the work of Christ. It's not that the Roman Catholic Church and other churches were, were doubting Trinitarianism, the truth of the Godhead, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and not that they were doubting who Christ was in all of his Son of Man, Son of God, reality, God and man. It's not that. It's just that they saw the work of Christ as being incomplete without others coming to help and be a mediator and a means to bring forgiveness to others. You know, this obscured the entirely sufficient and available work of Christ that comes to each individual directly. He is the only mediator, Paul says, between us and God. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts chapter 4, Peter uh, was preaching and in verse 12, he says, there's no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved. It's the name of Jesus. It's not through somebody else. It's through this faith in God's grace on the basis of God's revelation through scripture of all that he has done for his glory to bring us to himself that secures salvation for us. So the reformers said it's solus Christus, Christ alone. So there you have it. This was the beginning of the restoration, the straightening of the crooked gospel. Glory to God alone. It's all for him, all from him. And it's all to be found in God's scripture. It doesn't require a human authority in addition to that. It's available to us and we praise God for that. And it's all of God's grace. All of God's grace. It's not because there's anything inherently good in us. In fact, it's the opposite. We're depraved sinners, but God in his grace saves us. And that's through faith alone. Not through us trying to impress God with our good works. It's faith alone. And it's all through Christ alone. Not through something mediated by other people to us. God himself has come in the person of Christ Jesus to us. And he alone is the one who brings us to God. That's a straightened gospel. And what we're going to consider over the coming weeks God willing, um, in our studies, is we're going to look at some of these doctrines of the gospel in a little bit more detail and some of the words that are used in the New Testament that help us to understand the reality of this glorious gospel of God. Notice how Paul finishes in Romans 1 verse 7, his, his um, opening to his letter. He says, to all in Rome who are loved by God, 
and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take that for ourselves. That we are those who have been called together to be his holy people. Not through anything of ourselves, but entirely because of what God has done. And because he has set his love on us from all of eternity in Christ Jesus. People called together to demonstrate the reality of this. And for them and for us then we enjoy this grace of God that's ongoing, this peace that comes from knowing God as our Savior. It comes from him, God, our Father. We come into this new relationship with him, and we'll explore that in one of our sessions to come. And it's all from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one we honor. So that's a very quick fly past on some of the major themes, but it's hopefully setting the scene for why we're focusing in on these key doctrines of the Christian gospel, because there is confusion, even in so-called Christianity today. And let's be careful we're not hoodwinked. We're not deceived by things that look attractive and sound attractive. We need to be careful that everything is for God's glory, that it is in accordance with God's word, that we realize that it's all of God's grace, that it's all as a result of faith, and it's all through Christ alone.